This is the Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors Podcast, sponsored by Bemidji State University and Northwest Technical College. The Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors Podcast is also sponsored by Visit Bemidji and Grant Haven Campground. Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors covers the lakes, woods, trails, wildlife, and anything else going on outdoors in Paul Bunyan's Playground. If you love the outdoors and are ready to start the next chapter of your life, Bemidji State University might be the choice. It's a world-class education right in the heart of the lakes and woods of Paul Bunyan country. You already have the drive to acquire deeper knowledge and greater wisdom. So join us on the shores of Lake Bemidji. Minnesota's premier Northwoods University can help you make the world a better place than you found it. Find out more at BemidjiState.edu and schedule a tour today. BemidjiState.edu Coming up today, the spotlight's on another Paul Bunyan Country gem as we get ready for the opener. We're going to take a look at Cass Lake with Large Lake Specialist Tony Kennedy. Plus, Nate Blazing of S&W Guide Service in the Brainerd Lakes area is in to talk about the Walleye Alliance. It's all coming up. When planning your trip up north, plan to park your RV or camper at the spacious Grand Haven RV Campground in Bemidji. You'll be in the perfect area to ride ATV, fish, hunt, and hike. With free parking for your boats and trailers and located just off Highway 2 west of Bemidji, Grand Haven Campground is the center point for your next Northland adventure. Fish hundreds of surrounding lakes and cruising the miles and miles of the ATV trails northern Minnesota has to offer. Visit GrandHavenCampground.com and book your stay today. We continue to get ready for the season by looking at some of the gems of Paul Bunyan Countries and Certainly this next one is a gem. Tony Kennedy is the Large Lake Specialist out of the Bemidji Area Office. He's here to talk about the Cass Lake chain. Tony, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, no problem, Kev. Well, certainly Cass Lake on its own is a, is a big lake. Uh, but when you talk about uh, Cass Lake, you're really talking about a chain of lakes, and I think everybody knows Andrusia and Wolf. But how many lakes uh, are considered part of the Cass Lake chain? Yeah, that's a good question. It, it sort of depends on how you view it. You know, Pike Bay is certainly attached, and that's almost 5,000 acres in and of itself. Cass proper is about 16,000 acres, and the whole chain, all the sort of connected waters where you might drive with a boat, um, Kitchy, Big Rice, Little Rice, Pike Bay, Big Wolf, Andrusia, um, it's about 25,000 acres. So it's a, it's a, it's a nice-sized body of water that you can hide from the wind no matter what direction it blows and uh, really offers a wide variety of, of opportunities. It absolutely does. Many of the lakes offer uh, m- uh, many of the same fish, but then you've you you know you've got uh, some lakes that seem to be more specific to other species you know, than some of the others, and some are hotter in the uh, early part of the year than the later part of the year, et cetera, et cetera. You've got a lot of different options. Yeah. Yep, a lot of times those upstream lakes, certainly this year I would think those upstream lakes will be a little better on the walleye opener because those fish will have migrated up the Mississippi or Turtle Rivers um, respectively through each of those uh, systems. And and we see, you know, last year when the ice went out super early, um, the fishing in Cass 
fish have sort of worked their way back down towards cast, whereas in these late ice out years when it's closer to the in proximity to opener, then those upstream lakes tend to be a little better, and, and cast might pick up a little more in June. So uh, before we really delve into what we're looking at here today, uh, explain what a large lake specialist is and how and, and if there's is there some sort of training you take that makes you more of a specialist in that regard than somebody else? Sure, not so much training wise. Um, you know, I mean, over time, of course, you know, you gain a different set of experiences. But it, it really came back in 1983. The department really. Um, prioritized the 10 largest walleye lakes as uh, they recognized how economically important they were, what, what a large portion of the state's walleye harvest comes from those lakes. And so basically a large lake specialist is just a dedicated staff person from an area office uh, that is in charge of the data collection analysis, you know, um, and then works through their area supervisor and then up through the regional manager, you know, to, to make recommendations and, and management action, recommend those actions, you know, to the regional manager. So, um, and then, of course, over time, we all you know get a little more specialized into whatever species might be in, into our lakes, and we're just really you know much more familiar with them than say some lake that's on a, a five-year gillnet rotation, like like a lake like Bemidji or um, you know Big Turtle or something like that might be. We're going to get talk about a krill survey you had last year that uh, I'm, I'm really curious about, but I did want to recap uh, something we had actually talked about the last couple of years, and that was. Um, a big study that had been done on the enti- about the entire chain, and I and I don't remember all the details of what you were looking at when when you did that study. What was that all about? Sure. Well, what we did essentially was an evaluation of our fry stocking um, into the cast chain. So, cast lake itself um, is often said, "Well, it's a self-sustaining system. It's it's not stocked." And it is true that no fry gets stocked directly into cast lake, but uh, we do take walleye eggs from Big Lake Creek which flows into Lake Andrusia. And as a matter of practice, we generally would put 10% of the number of eggs we take back as fry into Lake Andrusia. And we knew that those fish were, you know, dispersing throughout the system at some point in their life, whether it was right away or when they reached sexual maturity to run up the rivers or whatever it might be. Uh, but we really wanted to evaluate uh, what the influence of that stocking on the system. And, uh, you know, we've learned a lot of things over the years about how detrimental high fry densities can be. Um, when they're when they're excessively high, and uh, that put because it's ten percent of all those eggs we take, if we have a really good egg take here. And Lake Andrews is a much smaller lake than Cass; it's only about fifteen hundred acres. But those fish would all go back into Andrews, and we were worried that those extreme high fry entities might have been having a negative effect on um, on survival. But you know, in talking with with anglers and resort owners, you know, the fishing over the last ten years have been really good. We did a a management plan for Cass Lake in 2019, and the the gist of the message of that group to us was: whatever you've been doing for the last 20 years, just keep doing it because things on the chain are really good. And so we thought, okay, well, what we're doing is working, but let's evaluate it now and sort of understand it better. And essentially, what we found is that even though we stocked those fish all into Lake Andrusia uh, by late August, when we did our electrofishing throughout the chain, we found fish that were stocked in Andrusia in every lake in the chain. And so they're dispersing much earlier than we might have thought and probably relieving some of that high density. And we also had speculated that maybe because it it had seemed to be working, that maybe there was an advantage to stocking those fish in Andrusia. The maximum depth there is about 60 feet versus Catholic, which is 120. So those shallower lakes warm up quicker. There's more food becomes available early in the season. And so we decided to just 
stick with the plan of of continuing to stock those put back fry into Andrusia and let them distribute themselves, you know, sort of as they see fit. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. There's a few more rabbit trails, but that was the general message, uh, along with the uh, the marking rate that we saw. So we, we put a uh, oxytetracycline mark on those fish by um, uh, those fish taking a bath in, in OTC solution uh, before they're stocked. And we saw in some years, you know, in cast, the range was like between 80 and 97% of the fish that we sampled in cast came from that Andrusia stocking. So maybe not quite as much natural reproduction as a lot of folks thought. We had, we had an inkling that maybe that was the case based on some work we'd done like 10 years ago. Uh, but certainly fry stocking is heavily contributing to that cast fishery. And, uh, yeah, the cool, the cool thing is you know that they're surviving, you know that they're moving throughout the system and that they're benefiting, benefiting all the lakes. Yeah, yep, there's um, those fish are, you know, we also stock some of the other connected waters. Every other year, Kitchy Lake and Big Rice get a stocking. Pike Bay gets stocked annually. So there are other fry in the system as well. Plus, our estimate from about 10 years ago and, and back of the envelope calculations for this recent study, too, would suggest we're getting about, one million wild fry produced in that system each year, whereas we're stocking anywhere from three to maybe six, depending on the year. So um, it, it makes sense that there would be more marked fish than unmarked fish, given that we're only getting about a million of wild fry produced each year. You mentioned uh, that you were somewhat surprised uh, how quickly they were moving into the other lakes, but it, typically, um, what is do we do we know how far uh, the average walleye is willing to go over the course of a lifetime? Well, I always say that fish don't really have anything else to do but swim, <laughs> and so I mean, I think they just will. I used to work on large rivers before I came to Minnesota, and I mean, those fish would swim hundreds of miles. Um, you know, they're a little bit more confined in some of our lakes, depending on the system. But, you know, in a reasonably open system like Cass, they can move in and out of all those lakes several times and, you know, over the course of their life. And I'm sure they do. Um, but as far as how far they would go, I mean, they'll, they'll swim from Cass all the way up to the power dam and then that's as far as they could go. Or they could go all the way up the turtle chain, you know, all, all the way to the top of it, theoretically. So, or down into Winnie even, you know, the, um, over top of the rock arch rapids at the outlet of cast. So the potential is there for there to be a lot of movement. There doesn't seem to be a ton of movement between Winnie and cast, even though it's pretty well connected for, uh, for some reason. But, um, yeah, they got nothing to do but swim, and, and they'll move quickly. What we were really surprised, we anticipated that some of those fish might drift downstream, Lake Andrews is upstream of cast, but mm-hmm. we saw fish that had dropped down from Andrews and had gone through cast and up the Turtle River and into Kitchy Lake. So, that's like two lakes away, you know, including considerable upstream movement, or even into Big Wolf, which is about three river miles. Uh, so not real far, but it takes active swimming to go up street, up the Mississippi River. You're not going to just drift there. So, uh, and we saw high marking rates in Big Wolf Lake as well. So they they were just on the move. Okay. Well, you did a creel survey on Cass last year, and uh, without further ado, what did we find out? Yeah. Well, last year was a tough year of walleye fishing. Um, I think broadly, uh, you know, red was slow, which is one of the other lake I work on. And, um, it was our lowest catch rates we've had since the reopening on red and, and cast didn't really escape that trend either. Uh, particularly early in the year, we had a big Mitch hatch the first week of the season, which was really bizarre. But it, if you remember last year, the ice went out really early and, and it got hot fast. And so everything was kind of way ahead of schedule. And it just seemed like the anglers didn't really know where to find the fish. 
they were off that their usual early season pattern. Uh, but once once the big mayflies hatched in late June, from then on, I would say the pattern for cats was pretty typical, and certainly that after bite or after dark uh, crankbait bite was pretty good. Um, maybe maybe average. Uh, July was maybe even above average a little bit. I, I like to participate in that fishery myself a little bit. <laughs> I had a couple good trips in July, and August was maybe not quite as strong, but um, we've been spoiled over there. We've had three or four years of really good fishing, and, and last year was a little bit of a clunker, uh, just being honest. So um, some of that was the weather, and some of it was there's, there was a little bit of a hole. We had a record-strong year class in 2013 that really carried that fishery for a long time. Uh, but with, with those big year classes, sometimes you get what we call year class suppression on the backside of that, where you don't get as much reproduction. And so... You know, those year classes that would have typically carried that harvest fishery uh, just were in, you know, relatively modest abundance. Uh, but the good news is we have a very strong 2018-year class. And those fish will be four years old this year, and they'll be perfect size. They'll be 14 to 16, 17 inches, depending on, you know, when this summer we get after them. So I look for this year to be a much better year of fishing for cast than last. How much uh, hard water pressure does cast get? It's pretty limited. Uh, we've done two winter creel surveys in my tenure here over the last 15 years, and we actually stopped doing them because uh, I think one of the estimates was like 445 walleyes for the whole winter, hmm. <laughs> you know, versus uh, about last year we did just under 30,000 pounds of harvest, which is about two pounds per acre if you think about it that way. Um, so very limited and from a walleye standpoint. You know, the perch are what sort of draw out the hard water anglers over there and a little bit of spearing in, in some of the bays. But um, the perch fishing is very good over there. This year was tough because of access with all the snow this last winter we just experienced. But um, I certainly, it's one of my favorite places to fish perch or my favorite place, and the, and the size was unreal. At my clerk, creel clerks last year were just marveling at the, you know, the number of, fish over 10 inches and over 12 inches and some even over 13 inches. So the, we're at record high abundance of perch over nine inches in the lake. And um, the anglers are certainly enjoying that. We saw that in the creel too, where there was quite a shift in the daytime fishing pressure, uh, more anglers harvested or targeted perch than we've seen in the past. And, and walleye, the percentage of anglers that targeted walleye during the day was down um, considerably. And that's just sort of, you know, anglers are savvy. We talk about how much information they have all the time. You know, they're fishing walleyes after dark when the bite is good, and during the day they're chasing perch or just, you know, sitting on the beach with a, with a cold one in their hand or pulling kids on the tube or whatever. So Right. You're kind of an outlier when it comes to perch. There's been some, you know, serious concern about a number of perch waters uh, without a lot of nice-sized perch. Uh, Cass is not in that camp. No, and we're really fortunate in the Bemidji area where we've we've got a few of those. We've got cast, we've got Bemidji, Black Duck, Big Lake has some nice perch, you know, and there's some others because we get smaller lakes, we don't use their names. But, um, <laughs> you know, we, we really are a little bit of a holdout in that regard. Uh, Plantagenet, you know, another another great perch lake. So, um, yeah, we're blessed in that, in that fashion. And, and it's really uh, – so one of the things that, that I'm speculating – actually, I – Andy Hapes is, is going to be working on this, I think, with some students. Is, uh, Cass Lake has rusty crayfish, which is an invasive crayfish. And they've, they've been in the lake since the late 90s. And they were somewhat low, 
localized, very abundant, but very localized in the lake. And once we got zebra mussels uh, back in 2014, it seemed like within a couple of years that really spurred the di- um, the dispersal uh, or the, a broader distribution of rusty crayfish in the lake. To just and they're just at incredibly high levels. Everything in Cass Lake eats crayfish, whether you think about it as being a species that eats them or not. And and what we've seen is some very positive growth rates. And that's really what's happened with the perch is they're reaching that desirable size, you know, at nine inches or so by a whole year earlier than they used to. And when you think about how high mortality rates are on, on a prey species like perch, reaching a desirable size a whole year sooner means there's going to be a lot more of those desirable size fish. So that's kind of a unique, I hate to call it a blessing of the zebra mussels, but it, it's sort of been a redistribution of that energy, I think, that the zebra mussels pull out of the water column that we hear about a lot. Mm-hmm. That energy gets pulled out down to the bottom, and it, it appears at least as though maybe the crayfish are able to utilize that well and we're we're seeing it, and and not only have the perch growth rates gone up considerably, but the walleyes have sort of followed suit. So um, we're going to look into that a little bit deeper, try to put some some data to that. At, at this point, that's just sort of my speculation. We have a lot more to cover on the Cast Lake Chain with Tony Kennedy of the Minnesota DNR later on in the show. But up next, we're going to check in with Nate Blazing of S and W Guide Service and the Walleye Alliance. We'll recap the banquet. And take a look at a lot of other things the Walleye Alliance is involved in. It's all coming up on Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. If you love fishing and hunting, Bemidji is the right choice. If you're looking for outstanding education in the trades, Bemidji is the right choice. If you love the outdoors and you're looking for future employment in the trades, Bemidji is the perfect choice. Northwest Technical College is the place for you. They've got state-of-the-art tech education on six career paths, automotive, building trades, business, health, child care, and manufacturing technology, all in the heart of the Northwoods, surrounded by more than 400 lakes and acres and acres and acres of forests. It's the shortest path to your dream job and to a walleye limit. Northwest Technical College, Bemidji's Technical College. Learn more today. Visit ntcmn.edu. Checking in with Nate Blazing of the Walleye Alliance and S&W Guide Service. Nate, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Kev. Great to be here and good to chat with you again. Well, you had a great time last Thursday night at the uh, Walleye Alliance Banquet. Uh, I think that's the second one you've had. Uh, thanks for letting me be a part of it. It was great to, to meet a lot of cool new people and see a lot of people I've talked to a lot face-to-face, including you. Yeah, that was kind of the beauty of it, uh, as you mentioned, you know, had our first one three years ago, took two years off because of the COVID stuff. I uh, got back on the saddle again, if you will, this year, which logistically speaking, it was kind of starting fresh, starting <laughs> over again. Uh, but, uh, you know, overall, first off, you did a fabulous job, so thank you very much for that. Thank you. Um, secondly, again, it was obvious that everyone had a great time just getting together in the same room, seeing each other, chatting, sharing stories, because... That just hasn't happened a whole lot up until this point. So, you know, you put fishing on top of that, and I I think for the most part everyone I talked to thought it was a a very fun event. So we're going to plan on keep doing it every spring. It's usually towards the end of April. We do it after the Rainy River early season closes and before opener, usually hoping we have open water at that time, which this year we're not quite there, but we're making some progress. We are getting there slowly but surely. 
Uh, what I think is unique about the Walleye Alliance is, you know, you, you've got, in, historically, in Minnesota, you know, there's trout clubs, and there's bass clubs, and there's muskie clubs, um, but walleyes have always kind of been taken for granted. You know, that was the fish. That's the staple. Uh, and so um, you don't hear of a whole lot of walleye clubs in these in the heart of Paul Bunyan country where there's so many walleye lakes. But the walleye lines kind of changes that in a time where we kind of need it. Right. And that, I, I would say you captured our thinking very closely when we came up with this. Again, there are a few clubs throughout the state, um, and we kind of modeled ourselves after a lot of what they did and do because they had good success stories but for as popular as walleye fishing is and again being in the heart of walleye country it was just amazing you know you got your pheasants forever you got your deer hunters association you got your ducks unlimited you got your turkey stuff nothing for walleyes and and, you know i'm a walleye person through and through so that's kind of the, the backing behind it and then Along with that, you team up, you know, some of the, the stuff we've talked previously about with concerns with zebra mussels, natural reproduction for the walleyes, the waters clearing up and, and getting a little warmer. And so a lot of that stuff is absolutely the reason why we put this group together. And, you know, we'll touch on some legislative stuff a little on and further on in the discussion, but it's just important to get it on people's mind, to be responsible. Again, one of our missions is is to get the youth involved in at our banquet. I think you saw that, that that was a very heavy emphasis for us. Anything we can do, any time we can sponsor the high school fishing team or our parks and rec for the Brainerd area has a kids fishing clinic, um, we want to do that stuff because anytime you can get a fishing pole in a kid's hand or at our banquet giving tackle away, the smiles say it all. You know, you mm-hmm. can see their face light up and that's so cool, you know. It is, and you know, one of the things that I have mentioned with a number of different people, I really do think fishing is intrinsic in human humanity's DNA. It's one of the first things humans started doing. You see a kid who's never fished before; it's like it's a natural thing. As soon as they get on that water, and as soon as they they see that that pole bend the first time, uh, if they could keep fishing, they would be hooked. And and you're spot on. And you know, I had the opportunity. To- truly to do that growing up because because my family fished but here oh i think it's been three or four years ago now the local ymca who had a summer camp usually they did it right at the ymca in town they got a facility out on a small local lake and so in the summer they have a summer camp there where they swim and you know do all kinds of different activities and one of the opportunities that the kids had that went there was to fish and so we met with the YMCA and went and bought a whole bunch of, you know, starter rods and reels, tackle, this and that. And after that first year, hearing the stories, and they would send us pictures of these kids that <laughs> they wanted to fish all day, every day, all summer long, and that absolutely made their camp experience. So that completely puts into light what you just said. If, if, if you can get a kid fishing all day, keeps them out of trouble, you know, they're not looking at a computer all day, great, more, you know, we're going to keep doing that, so... Absolutely, and um, it was a great night uh, last week. What I really appreciated was just the the sheer number of people that were there. And, you know, still kind of just coming off COVID, getting used to being out in public again. Um, everybody seemed to participate in the games and the activities, and were more than happy to donate to the cause. So overall, uh, probably a good night uh, financially as well. It was. We're actually going to have a debrief here, I believe, on uh, next 
early next week. We've run some some rough numbers, and it does sound like we did pretty well. Um, we had a little more room for ticket sales, but at the same time, uh, thanks to the the woods was the venue we had it right right by Merrifield, and we didn't want to overcrowd it because the first year we did it, we did it at the Legion. The Legion was great, but we had so many people in there that we wanted to be a little cautious of that this time. So this actually worked out perfect. We kind of figured out where that number threshold is going forward. Um, the folks that were there, again, said the food was great, the conversation was great, the speakers were great. Tony Roach was our, our featured speaker. And for anyone that has not listened to Tony speak, the guy is a true professional. He knows his stuff inside out. I like to think I know how to fish, but I <laughs> learned so much stuff. Just listen to that guy talk for an hour. It's absolutely amazing. So just just love that, and I encourage you, if you ever have the chance to listen to Tony or fish with him, it's well worth your time. Okay. Um, you, we're we're going to get into the legislative aspect very soon. I, I really want to get into that and talk about that. But uh, you, you, you presented the uh, Brainerd uh, fishing team with a check. Uh, so that, as you noted earlier, is one of the things you like to do. What are some of the other key activities going on with uh, Walleye Alliance right now? Sure. So, yeah, the, the high school fishing team, they come and help out, serve. They help us serve meals at our event, and then we also sponsor them, give them a check. And then um, some of us do help out with some of their tournaments as boat captains when we can do that. Uh, again, the other kid fishing clinic is, I believe, May 21st. Um, right at Lum Park in Brainerd, and a bunch of groups, the Muskie Inc. group participates in that, as does the DNR. The DNR actually brings fish out in a tank so the kids get to see them. They teach kids how to flay fish, how to identify fish. They get to fish off a pier, so I think they even walk away with the rod and reel, if I remember correctly, but that kind of stuff is, is so cool. Um, and then our next event that's coming up here is actually coming out really fast, May 21st. We have our spring classic, which is a fishing tournament on Gull Lake out of Ernie's uh, Restaurant. And it's a two-person fishing tournament from 7 in the morning till 3 in the afternoon. We want to keep it fairly small at this point. Um, I think last year we had right around 25 to 30 boats. And ideally, that 35 to 50 boat range would probably be pretty good. But it's uh, five fish you can weigh in. One of those can be over 20 inches, the rest under. Um, very, very competitive last year. There were some very good uh, local sticks that were involved with that. So, again, that was the first year we did it. So that uh, already looking at the signups we got, that's growing and the popularity is starting to catch on there i'm getting daily emails and calls about that so we're really looking forward to getting that going as long as we got the ice off the lake at that time <laughs> yeah that's seems to be a big if still yeah again i just actually watched a video on gull and uh it, it it is going away and i think you know the sun's shining right now which is helpful and we get some more rain this weekend, along with that, that wind is the key for eating that stuff up and deteriorating it. So if I had to look into the crystal ball right now, I think in this area, we're probably going to be okay. It'll be close, but the further north you get, you know, up in your neck of the woods, <laughs> it yeah. might be a little touch and go. So. Uh, well, we supposedly are having the, well, we are having the governor's opener up in, uh, in uh, the heart of Paul Bunyan country, uh, and I think the governor himself will be with Tom Newstrom on Winnie, but 
if when he's open. I mean, I'm I'm not sure yet. I really am not sure up here. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you know, I also saw a video of someone up on the, uh, I think it was up on the Gunflint up there and the Boundary Waters, and they, whenever that was, they still had 40-some inches of ice, and the snowpack hasn't even begun to dwindle. So, you know, again, stuff can happen pretty quick. We're, we're at the, the mercy of Mother Nature, and I think everyone at this point is kind of saying their prayers and ready for a little open water. The weird thing around here is we did lose ice on some of our small lakes, but the big lakes, again, the, that ice sheet is so big, but once that you get a little melting from the shoreline and some areas for that the ice to move and the wind blows it around and it starts heating it up pretty good. And I don't know if you've seen some of the videos recently from over in Mille Lacs the last couple of days, but huge piles of ice. So that ice sheet is definitely moving and that helps heat it up. Nate Blazing of S&W Guide Service and Walleye Alliance on the show. We've got a lot more to cover with Nate, and we will do that tomorrow. We're going to talk a lot more about what the Walleye Alliance would like to see legislatively. But up next, back with Tony Kennedy and more on the Cass Lake chain as Fish and Paul Bunyan Country continues. Hi, this is Dick Beardsley, Bemidji Area Fishing Guide. I'd like to invite you to come to our beautiful town of Bemidji. We've got over 400 lakes in our area teeming with walleye, pike, muskie, bass, and panfish. We're the gateway to the Chippewa National Forest. We've got miles upon miles of biking and hiking trails. Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox. Fine shops and eateries in downtown Bemidji. Headwaters of the mighty Mississippi at Itasca State Park. Beautiful resorts, hotels, and bed and breakfasts. Visit Bemidji one step further. Checking back in with Large Lake Specialist Tony Kennedy of the Bemidji Area Fisheries Office. Cass Lake and the Cass Lake chain is our focus today. And Tony, zebra mussels have been probably the big story, at least on the negative side for Cass Lake. And really what it's done, and I don't think anybody's arguing this, is it hasn't changed the populations any on a negative percentage. It doesn't appear. It just has made a clear lake even clearer and an early morning and late evening bite even earlier and even later, but the but the fish are still there. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, I know you, you talk with Kevin Cochran. I know he sees that on the muskies. Just it's been a different way that they fish, both because of the clear water and the loss of vegetation from the from the rusted crayfish on some of the sand flats and and walleyes, too. I mean, you go out there, you know, our, our boat counts after dark. Um, when it's good, our 80 or 90 boats on the lake after dark mm-hmm. fishing walleyes. And during the daytime, in those same time frames, sometimes the fishing boat count is only 10 or 12. Um, now, the pleasure boats might, that <laughs> might still be 100. But, yep. <laughs> uh, there is a lot of recreational there because, hey, clear water. Everybody likes to swim in clear water. So um, it, there, it has sort of changed the way that, that people have used the lake, both anglers and non-anglers alike. Well, certainly we've seen those uh, those zebes uh, head you know up the river some too. Uh, it, it's all the way up to Lake Bemidji and beyond now. So we know they're in all those other lakes. Are you seeing the same impacts on Wolf and Andrusia and, and other lakes in the chain? Yeah, that's a good question. Those lakes get surveyed much less frequently. They're on a ten, actually on a ten year rotation, which is pretty long. Most of our important lakes like those would be much shorter, but because we do casts every year. That's a pretty good barometer because, again, of the, the fish movement throughout the chain. Um, so I don't think – I think it's fair to say that those effects that we've seen on casts are are the same throughout the chain. We haven't noticed anything, you know, specific to, say, you know, smaller lakes either. Okay. 
Uh, anything else interesting going on on Cast Lake Chain these days? Well, just a reminder of our, uh, it is one of our um, QSI lakes, so it does have a reduced sunfish bag limit of, of five per day, and that is uh, chain-wide, so you can't go to Kitchy and catch five and Big Rice and catch five and Big Wolf and catch five, you know. Gotcha. Um, it is a chain-wide, um, you know, daily limit. You can still accrue the 20 in possession, but it is a five-fish daily limit. Um, and there's, you know, some of those connected waters, and I won't get into too much detail, uh, but, you know, the, those sunfish are there. They're, they're not high density. you got to look around for them, but there is, you know, some nice quality sand fish in those connected waters particularly. There are. That's a, that is true. I've, I've had some success myself uh, with those. Um, and, and, yeah, again, not only, uh, not only good numbers, but really good sizes out there, too. Yep. Um, so we, we, know, we, we touched on the muskies. Let's get into that a little bit more. Uh, that is another um, natural species in Cass Lake that does extremely well. Uh, good numbers, good reproduction, nice sizes. Uh, it kind of gets passed over. Uh, you know, everybody talks about leech, and we know that the state record just came out of Mille Lacs down in the you know, Brainerd area. But, boy, Cass Lake is a really good muskie lake. Yeah, and it's really a different experience than most of our other local musky waters, like a Bemidji or a Plantain, that don't have necessarily a lot of fish, but they have um, high top-end fish. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, certainly cats, you have the potential to catch 50-plus-inch fish. Uh, they're, they're absolutely out there. But you're much, much more likely to catch a 28 or a 32 or a 36 or a 42 or whatever. It's the most balanced size structure that we have in our work area uh, for muskies. And I think that's you know, again, speculating a little bit here again, but um, because it is a natural lake, hasn't been stocked in decades and decades and decades. And um, whereas I think you know, we sort of see pulses of muskies come through some of these other lakes where they were stocked um, to reintroduce them, and and so you had sort of big pulse of fish that survived that were all about the same size. And then we talked a little bit about suppression um, of recruitment by by those larger fish, you know, in respect to walleyes, but that's true for other species as well. And um, so it seems like we get sort of some of these pulses on, on the stock waters, whereas Cass is a, a very, very balanced population. Um, broad size range, broad, broad age range with, you know, representation from all, you know, every year. So it, it really is a high-quality, um, well-balanced musky population. And catch rates from the Creel survey last year were good. Fishing pressure targeted at musky seemed to be down, and I don't know if that was – you know, perception of the clear water or some of that loss of, of cabbage on the sand flats that didn't concentrate fish as much um, or or what the reasoning was where musky pressure was down a bit. But but angler catch rates were, uh, were, were strong for, for muskies last year out there. Okay. Well, one of the cool things um, uh, about... Um, um, fishing in in the in the area in general, and I think I, I'm seeing this more and more. And part of that is social media and the internet, and you know, getting on YouTube and watching videos. I just think there's more and more anglers, specifically younger than me and my generation, that are just more open to trying a few more things. So maybe they go out musky fishing, but not every single day like some of the hardcores used to be. They're just some days they're going after bass. Um, some days they head up north and try for some sturgeon. Some days they're going for panfish. I just think there's more anglers that are behaving that way. Yeah, that's probably true, Kevin. And, and the other thing that 
uh, to mention about Cass is that it it has a strong resort presence on there, and um, I don't recall the percentage off the top of my head, but um, I, it's generally over half of our angler interviews on Cass are non-resident anglers that, that where that pressure is originating out of the resorts rather than the public accesses or or lakeshore homes, and so. So it, you will. You'll get those groups that'll come, and one day they might target muskies, and one day they might target walleyes, or you know, another day perch or panfish or whatever. And they kind of you know like to like to fill out some possession limits uh, for different species and, and different experiences. And um, it's it probably has some of the highest non-resident angler activity in the immediate Bemidji area. Okay. Yeah, there is. A, I think it's it's a. I don't get on Cass as much as I like. It's a beautiful lake, and it's got great, you know, campgrounds and, as, as we noted, resorts. But you get on Cass Lake, and you're just tooling around on a on a weekday if you happen to be able to get off work and do that. It's like you're on vacation. It doesn't even seem like you're in your, you know, within five miles of your hometown because it is. A, it's a world of vacationers out there. Yeah, it is. And the other, you know, the eastern shore is mostly all the Chippewa National Forest. And so there's very little development on the entire east shoreline. Um, and then, of course, the the islands, you know, there's some cabins on Star Island, but, you know, Cedar Island doesn't have any cabins. A lot of people like to pull up on the, the sand spit there and swim or climb the big sand dune or whatever. So it, it, I, it's the lake I go to with my kids when we're going to go out and just, you know, cool off and, and jump in the lake for a while. And there's a few people who do the few different lakes, but there's an awful lot of people I know who live in Bemidji that more or less just live in their camper uh, on the shores of Cass Lake all summer long. Yeah, it's it's a great lake to do that. The you know the swimming's great, the fishing's good. You can you can fish after dark um, and, and catch a few of those walleyes that when it's not quite the heat of the day and um, you know just stick your lawn chair and, the, and your toes in the sand and, and just enjoy life. We, we've talked about a number of the concerns over there. Uh, any, besides what we've already covered, any concerns on Cass Lake or the chain right now? No, we're in pretty good shape. Um, we're about halfway through our current management plan before we'll revisit that in a couple of years. And um, we're still, you know, within the goals, you know, on virtually every parameter um, that we've got out there. So um, it's, it's just a lake that seems to continually just plug along pretty well. Um and and it performs well you know it is a it is a six fish bag limit walleye lake it's one of the few large lakes that doesn't have a special regulation and and it seems to be you know performing well at that and just keeps plugging along produces a strong year class generally at least every three years and uh by the time the, we've we've gobbled up those fish there's another one coming right on their heel to take their place so um it's it's really in great shape well, Tony, a question I always wrap up with: uh, If you're a teacher and Cass Lake is your student, what's what's the grade he's getting right now? Well, it's hard to give it um, too low a mark. <laughs> I think it's got to be in that you know AA minus range, probably, um, depending on you know if you're if you're fussy about when you have when you want to fish, it might not be the lake for you. But if you're a little flexible and willing to you know fish those low light periods for walleyes, uh, you can do really well out there. All right, he's Tony Kennedy, Large Lake Specialist. One of the lakes he covers is Cass Lake. And, uh, Tony, we thank you for the time today. Yeah, no problem, Kim. We'll be checking in with Tony again next week as we take a look at the other large lake he's in charge of, Red Lake. Tomorrow, Phil Talmadge joins us to talk Lake of the Woods as we put the spotlight up on the chimney of Minnesota and more with Nate Blazing of Walleye Alliance. I'm Kev Jackson. Thank you for joining us today. Talk to you again tomorrow. 
This has been the Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors Podcast. Sponsored by Visit Bemidji and Grant Haven Campground. The Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors Podcast is also sponsored by Bemidji State University and Northwest Technical College. And don't forget, you can listen to Fish and Paul Bunyan Country on KB101 FM and KBUN Sports Radio 104.5 weekdays, as well as Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors Saturday mornings on KBUN Sports Radio 104.5, B93.3 in Brainerd Baxter, and Kick FM in Alexandria.